Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. It can be found on page 887 of your church Bibles. My name is Annie Berry, and I'm on the board of women here at MPC. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome again to all of you. I know a lot of you were involved with our missions conference uh, yesterday. If we've been looking at this uh, idea, this theme of being outward facing. And so welcome to all of you here in the sanctuary, down uh, in the fellowship hall and at Fairfax. It's my privilege to to introduce our preacher this morning, uh, Randy Newman. Many of you will, will know Randy and his wife, Pam. They are members of our church family and they, they worship regularly at Fairfax. You may know him also from his work with the C.S. Lewis Institute, where he is a senior teaching fellow. Uh, Randy was in campus ministry for, for over 30 years. 
He teaches in a lot of seminaries around uh, the world, and he's also written uh, several fantastic books. Uh, We actually have one of them available for some of you this morning, Uh, Unlikely Converts. We have a few left over from yesterday, and so if you're interested in grabbing this book, you can go to the Welcome Center uh, here, and they're also available in in Fairfax uh, as well, and so we commend uh, these books to you. I'm not going to take up any more time. I'm going to pray for Randy. He's uh, a gifted, a kind, a humble man, and I know that you will appreciate hearing God's word from him this morning. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Randy, uh, for the ways that you have worked in his life, calling him to yourself. Father, thank you for allowing him to use his gifts to serve this church so well. Father, help us to listen well so that we would hear your voice through Randy this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. It's a great, great joy to be with you again and to look into God's Word together. We spent uh, time yesterday thinking about how we communicate this gospel message. And uh, when, when you start hearing about outreach or missions, uh, it, it's easy to get thinking of, okay, so what do I say? How do I say it? What are some resources I should know about? What are, what are tools? Um, but this morning, I want to step back a little bit from that to get a perspective, and, and here's how I've been thinking about it. I, I recently have taken a couple of classes in photography, and in photography, we learn all sorts of details about lenses to use and aperture settings and shutter speed and things like that. Um, but my, my favorite classes have been where we've stepped back and just looked at pictures, and looked at what worked and why did it work and why did a certain framing or a way of looking at things um, move us so. And uh, professors uh, would very often even step back a little further and say, Let, let's just talk about photography. What, what, what does a picture do? And so I, I want to step back from the nuts and bolts about how do we talk and how do we say things to what, what is this conversion process like for people? When people come to faith in Jesus, what, what, what is that conversion process like? And, and, and what do the Scriptures teach about that? I think as we think about it in, those, in, that, in that way, it can help us then when we have these conversations with people and invite them to things and point them to the Scriptures. So, John chapter 3 is one of the most famous passages in, in Scripture and talks quite a bit about conversion. And so I'd like to look at five, yes, five points. Can you imagine? This is a long sermon. I hope you're comfortable. Um, uh, The first that I see in this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is that conversion is necessary. Conversion is necessary. Do you see how many, he used such strong terms, Jesus did, about no one can be enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. You must be born again. Uh, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Um, you, you can't have just one birth. Uh, there needs to be a second birth, a spiritual birth. Uh, and, uh, and he's saying this to Nicodemus, a very religious leader in the Jewish community, a very pious man. He's saying, even you, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And so we, we must conclude that if, if Nicodemus needed a second birth, everyone does. No one can see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God unless they're born again. I hope you feel when you hear this passage read or when you look at it, there, there's, there's the no one and the anyone in this passage. There's no one can see, no one can have eternal life, but anyone, whoever believes, whoever is used three or four times in this, 
And so he's saying to this man that, that no one can enter into this relationship with God unless he is born again, but anyone can if they believe in the one and only Son of Jesus. I think a lot of people think of Jesus, if they haven't read the Scriptures, the common view in, in, in our culture is that Jesus was this very kind, loving, gentle man. Well, he was kind and loving and at times gentle, but at times he was pretty strong, and this is one of them. You cannot. You must. I know that that was perhaps one of the biggest surprises for me when I first read the Gospels. Growing up in a Jewish home, I hadn't heard much about Jesus. When I read the Gospels in my college years, I started, oh my goodness, he makes such strong claims about himself and strong claims and strong statements of whoever does not believe will be separated forever. He says that, that those who do not believe are condemned already. Condemned, he uses that word several times. And he says it's because we love darkness. And so the, it's a stark passage of um, we must be born again. Conversion is necessary. Second observation about this is that conversion is mysterious. It's like the wind. See, he says that he compares it. It's, it's like the wind. And you don't necessarily know where the wind is coming from or where it's going, which, by the way, I imagine if we really wanted to be pedantic and picky, we'd say, well, actually, we kind of do. But that misses the figurative language that Jesus was using. And there are, there's an aspect about wind. We never quite know when we're going to feel a gust of it. And, and there is sort of this sense, okay, it's coming generally from there, but there are these, there's a mysterious nature about it. And he's saying to Nicodemus, a very logical man, and Jesus has built a very logical argument, but in the midst of that, he says, you know, there's an aspect about this that is mysterious, that you can't really explain it. Um, the, the book that David mentioned that I, I, I wrote, uh, it came as a result of interviewing a whole bunch of uh, recent converts. It was a research project for a doctoral degree. Um, but I, I interviewed close to 50 people, 40 college students and then others who had become Christians within the last two years to hear their stories. And my interviews would last at least 45 minutes, most close to an hour. And things started surfacing and people started seeing things and, and remembering things. And there were so many elements that were just crazy. They were surprising. They were mysterious of why did that happen? Here's one of my favorites. There was a woman who told me that um, she went off to college. Uh, she grew up in a family with no religion. Her parents were both atheists. Um, she never went to church. She didn't have any kind of religious background. She said her grandfather was a pastor, but her father rebelled against his, his father's faith, became an atheist, and so there was no religion growing up. She went off to college. Her first year in college, she said, was just sort of your typical freshman year. I had a lot of fun. I went to classes, a, a lot of parties and stuff, but there was nothing religious about it. Uh, I came home at the end of my freshman year, and my parents said that we were going to take a vacation to Europe for two weeks uh, with my sister. And so she said, so I decided to pack my Bible. I, 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 I said, you're what? Um, my, my Bible, I decided to bring my Bible. On vacation? Yes. Why? Which is probably not what a researcher is supposed to say. <laughs> She, go, she said, I don't know. It just seemed, I don't know. I just I thought I'd bring my Bible on vacation. I said, where did you get a Bible? And she goes, I, I don't know. It's just weird, isn't it? And I thought, did your grandfather give you a Bible? No, absolutely not. My father wouldn't allow it. Okay, so you had this Bible from nowhere. I mean, and, and you brought it on vacation. 
And, and then she went out of her to tell me, and it was one of those big fat ones, you know, it was a big fat Bible. And my dad said that we had to pack light because we had only one suitcase. So I was giving up room in my suitcase for my big fat Bible. And, and, and like a professional researcher, I said, why? But I, I, she, I, I said, so did, 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 uh, did you read your Bible on vacation? She goes, oh yeah, every day. Why? I don't know. I just was drawn to it. Uh, what did you read? Oh, I read the Gospels. I read Romans. I read the Psalms. I really like the Psalms. Did it, did it make sense to you? She goes, well, a little, not really. But when I got back to college, I figured I'd better find people who understand this book. And there was a poster up in my dorm about an event where someone was going to talk about um, um, why we should believe the Bible. So she went to this event, four reasons why you should believe the Bible. And she recounted all four. She remembered it, even though it was two years ago. One of the reasons, by the way, was that when people curse, they say the name of Jesus. It's got to be one of the weirdest arguments I've ever heard. <laughs> I've, I've taken some classes and apologized. I've never heard. That. Okay, all right. So, all right. So, so what did you think? She said, well, I went back to my dorm room and I had to find this guy. So I stalked him. She said, you use that word. I found him on Facebook and I stalked him and I sent him a Facebook message that I have to talk to him about this Bible. He very wisely sent a woman uh, on his staff team to meet with her, and they started meeting every single week to read the Bible together and to discuss it and to discuss why you should believe it. And she became a Christian two, two months later. At the end of all of my interviews, I said to people, so what would you say were the three biggest factors involved in your conversion? And she said, well, uh, definitely uh, bringing the Bible on vacation and definitely that talk that that guy gave and then she paused and she said, and I guess, I guess I'd have to also say my grandfather. I said, wait a minute, you haven't mentioned him in 45 minutes. What, why? Why was he involved in that? Did he ever talk to you? No, not really, no. She said, I don't know, I can't put my finger on it. It's just like, I just, I just thought that knowing he was there and that he was a Christian had this effect on me. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that mysterious? Isn't that like the wind? People come to faith... In, 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 in ways that we can't totally explain. So it's, uh, it, it's mysterious. But it's also logical. It's biblical. That's the third observation, that conversion is a biblically logical process. Um, uh, Jesus appeals to Nicodemus. You, you should know this. Are you a teacher of, of Israel and you don't know this? He's assuming that Nicodemus knew the scriptures, the, the, the prophet Ezekiel predicted a new birth. The prophet Jeremiah predicted a new birth. And he says to him that there's a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth. This should make sense to you. This is consistent with the scriptures and also just consistent with good logic. So yes, it's mysterious like the wind, but it's also logical coming from the scriptures. And then Jesus even lifts up, reminds him about a passage he should know, but it's a weird passage. He says, as the serpent was, as the bronze serpent was lifted up on, uh, that people needed to turn to, to be saved. As, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man is lifted up. Do you remember that story? It's really weird. It's these people, well, the, the fact that the people were complaining and grumbling against God was not weird at all. How many times are they going to have to do this? Um, and so God sends a punishment, snakes that are biting and killing these people. But then God also sends a savior, a deliverer. And he says to Moses, take a, make a, a serpent, a statue, a, a bronze serpent, and put it up on, on a pole. And if people look to that, it will mean that they will stop their grumbling and complaining about God. They'll turn away from death to a savior. It's a bizarre story. It almost makes you think there's got to be something more to this story. 
I think that that's the way we should read all of the Old Testament. There's something bigger going on. There, this, this picture is a picture of what it's like to be saved, to be born again, and it involves repentance where we turn from ourself and our, and our sin and the things that are killing us to a, a God-given Savior. And this is all biblical and logical, and Nicodemus should have understood it. But he doesn't, does it? I mean, he's asking questions like, how can someone who's old enter his mother's womb again? Nicodemus is not getting it, but Jesus is appealing to a biblical logic. And we can do that too. We need to be able to point people to the Scriptures. We can, we can engage in conversations, but the sooner we say to people, would you be willing to read a chapter of, from the Bible and for us to discuss it? Would you be willing to come to this Bible study that I'm a part of? Would you be willing to come to something like a Christianity Explored class where we look at the Scriptures? I have heard so many stories of people who had lots and lots of questions and lots of confusion, but the Scriptures cut through and answered the questions they really needed to have. Have answered. Um, there was one guy that I interviewed who was at a conference listening to a speaker, and he wasn't paying attention to the speaker, which is a great thing to tell someone who does speaking. And, um, and he said that he, he just couldn't listen to the guy anymore. I felt so encouraged. And he said, so I just, I left the conference and went up to the hotel room and just read the Bible for three hours. I thought, okay, that's good. I'll, I'll go with that. The sooner we can get people into the Scriptures to see what God has said and what God is saying through His living Word, the more powerfully they can come to faith. So, fourth observation I see in this is that the path to conversion can be gradual. Um, uh, it's necessary, it's mysterious, it's logical, but, but, but it can also be gradual. People can move incrementally from, I don't believe this to, at all, to, hmm, maybe I need to consider it, to, oh, there's probably something more to this. Um, and I get that not just from John chapter 3, but from the other places that we meet Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. Do you know that he shows up again? Take a look at John chapter 7. In John chapter 3, he seems like he's not really understanding things, and he's asking very, very basic questions, and he's, he's just, he's not getting it. And by the way, the drama at the, at the end of that conversation just sort of comes to an abrupt ending, and all of a sudden, the, the camera shifts away, and now Nicodemus is gone, and Jesus is doing other things. But Nicodemus shows up again in John chapter 7. Look at verse 45. This is when Jesus has been uh, sort of gathering crowds and stirring up controversy and questions about him. And in verse 45, the text says, Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So they're not even listening to logic, but Nicodemus is the one who's raising his hand and saying, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't the way we hear people. This isn't a fair trial. He shows up again, though, at the end of the gospel. Take a look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19, at the end of the chapter, Jesus has been crucified. 
they're taking his body down off the cross. It's time to bury the body. In verse 38 of John chapter 19, the text says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Three times Nicodemus shows up on the stage. The first time he seems he's not getting it at all. The second time he seems more positively predisposed. Maybe we should hear more about this. Here now, it sure seems like he's become a believer. Do we know that with absolute certainty? No. We're told that, Nic- that Joseph of Arimathea has become a believer and that Nicodemus was with him. And Joseph of Arimathea was a secret believer because he was afraid of persecution. But now he's, he's come out. It's, it's, it's known now. It's, it, he's not secret anymore. And Nicodemus chooses to let himself be identified with that. So is Nicodemus perhaps the the poster child of wind-like conversion? Did John construct these episodes together to be the illustration of the point Jesus said, when someone is born again, it's like the wind? I have to think so. And what what I draw from that is people tend to come to faith gradually. Not everyone, but a whole lot of people move gradually from, no, I don't believe this, to, hmm, I don't know, maybe. And then they have to wrestle with a bunch of things. There there are aspects about the gospel that are difficult for people to grasp in their first hearing. And some people need to wrestle with the fact that, um, that God is both holy and also loving. How can that be? And that I am drawn to things that are good, and yet I'm also drawn to evil. I do love darkness, and yet there's something within every person that's crying out for something more. And so we, we, people tend to come to faith gradually, and we need to join them along the way. For, for many people, there, there, there's a backstory that we don't know about, and when we invite them to come to some event or to church or to Easter service or Christianity Explored or anything, you don't know what they might have been thinking or wondering about. There were quite a few people I interviewed who had been reading the Bible on their own because life didn't make sense, and they tried to figure it out, and now someone invited them to come to an event. Oh, I think I'll come to that. Here's one of my favorite stories. Um, I, I tried to get as many different people to, be, to interview as possible, and one time I was speaking at a retreat, and I told people I was going to be doing this research project. I said, I probably won't be starting it for another six months, um, but, if you, but if you've become a Christian within the last two years, um, I'd love to interview you. So I'm going to pass around a sign-up sheet and, and just jot down your name and your email address. I'll get in touch with you. Again, it'll probably be six months or so, but um, I'd love to find out your story. So there was a guy on the retreat um, uh, who brought with him a non-Christian friend that he'd been talking to and witnessing to for months. And um, when the sign-up sheet came, the non-Christian signed up. The guy sees this, and he was so excited. And so after the meeting, he said, I, I noticed you signed up on the, the, the sign-up sheet. He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, did, did you become a Christian this weekend? No. Well, uh, did, did you become a Christian this past week sometime? No. Okay, we talked like a week ago, and you weren't a Christian. I mean, when, when did you become a Christian? He said, I'm not. 
You're not a Christian. No. Well, then why did you sign up? He said, well, the guy said it's going to be like six months before he gets in touch with me. I think by then I will be. And he did become a Christian. Some people come to faith gradually. Let's join them along the way and ask God to give us wisdom about what to say and what to ask and what resources to point them to. One more observation. Um, Experiences of of conversion can vary. It's mysterious, it's biblical, it's logical, it's necessary, it can be gradual, but it can be rather different for different people. The very next chapter after Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus has another conversation with someone else, the woman at the well. And both conversations are about him and that he's the one they need to believe in. But his conversation with the woman is very different than the conversation with Nicodemus. With Nicodemus, it was a pretty intellectual, theological discussion. With her, it was more of an emotional appeal. Wouldn't it be great if you had a kind of water that when you drank it, you would never be thirsty again? Your relationships with your husbands hasn't worked out. The guy that you're living with right now, that's not working out. You're looking for something else. That was a very different appeal. And that shouldn't surprise us because uh, think about the different words in Scripture to talk about the gospel. Yes, at its very core, it is atonement for sin. It is, it is a, a satisfaction of God's wrath, an atonement so that people can be forgiven of their sins. Yes, we must never get away from that. But there are other words in the Scriptures about the gospel with looking at it from a different angle. It's also called reconciliation. Two parties that used to be alienated from each other are now brought back together. It's called redemption, a kind of being bought out of a kind of slavery. Um, It's called forgiveness. It's called eternal life. It's called salvation. It's called adoption, being brought into a family that wasn't naturally your own. Um, We need to reflect deeply about this wonderful multifaceted gospel that we have and and find out what aspects of it start people moving toward the center of this great message. Here's one more story that's one of my favorites. Um, Again, it was a young woman who said she had no religious upbringing, no religious background whatsoever. She, she knew that she didn't have the kinds of grades to get accepted into college just on her GPA alone, so in high school she joined lots and lots of extracurricular activities so that she'd have a good college application. And she joined lots of them, this club, this club, she was a cheerleader, she was involved with all sorts of things, and she got into her first choice, which was great. Well, then she arrived at college, and during her freshman year, she thought, well, you know, in a couple of years, I'm going to be graduating. I need to have a good resume. I better start joining things. And she joined this club and this club. She, she, joined the, the, she told me she joined the, the underwater hockey club. I, I, I don't know where you watch that from. I don't know. I, 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 okay, all right. And, and she was really tired, and uh, somebody invited her to some Christian group, and she thought, well, that would probably look good on the resume too. I better go. And she said she went to this meeting. She said it was really weird. It was just weird. Everybody was, they were singing with their hands in the air and their eyes closed and went on and on with the singing. And then some guy got up and spoke and he talked for a long time. I don't, I don't remember anything that he said. And, uh, and then at the end of the, of the meeting, uh, someone got up and they made an announcement about something. I don't even remember what it was an announcement about, but the person who made the announcement said, um, she, she read a Bible verse. It was the Bible verse, uh, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And she said, did someone say rest? Rest? I'm exhausted. How do I find out about this rest stuff? 
And she signed up to get involved in a Bible study where she learned about Jesus offering rest, the rest of salvation, the rest of knowing about eternal life. Uh, Again, at the end of the interview, I asked her some final questions, and she mentioned something about her mother. And I said, you know, you've mentioned your mother several times in uh, in this interview. You haven't said anything about your father. What did he think about your coming to believe in Jesus? And she said, oh, I don't... I don't really know my father very much. He left when we were pretty young, and I, 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 don't, I really haven't had any contact with him for several years. And I thought, oh, well, no wonder you're trying to build a resume. Um, we, we, we try to build a resume to impress people to fill up a, a gap that we can't seem to fill up. And how wonderful it was for this woman to meet a heavenly father, who doesn't abandon and doesn't walk away from us. The gospel is good news for people in all sorts of variety of ways. And uh, we have the privilege of telling other people just how good this good news is. Uh, if, If you realize that you're guilty, the gospel is very good news of justification. God offers forgiveness and declares guilty people righteous. If you don't feel guilt, but you feel a sense of shame, the gospel is the good news of regeneration. God rebirths people, and he makes them into brand new creatures. If you believe in God in some kind of vague way, but he seems distant and alien, uh, the gospel is the good news of reconciliation. God takes care of the sin problem that separates people and reunites them with him. If you're trapped in an endless cycle of sin, maybe even an addiction, the gospel is the good news of redemption. God rescues people out of slavery and he sets them free. If you come from the most dysfunctional family in the history of dysfunction, the gospel is the good news of adoption. God brings people into his family and he calls them his sons and daughters. And if, if you feel none of these struggles, but you know no matter how hard you try or to ignore it or deny it or suppress it, we, we all die. And the gospel is wonderfully good news, the good news of eternal life. God invites us to trust in the one who rose from the dead, the one who is called the resurrection and the life, the one who said, whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. Isn't that wonderful good news? Will you pray with me? Our Father and our God, our our King and our Redeemer, our Savior and Shield, it is no accident that you have placed people around us who are searching for something satisfying. It's no accident that they live near us or work near us Would you help us to see them the way you see them? And would you work in their hearts to draw them to yourself? Would you give us wisdom about what to say and how to say it and what to invite them to? And would you use us as we worship the one who has redeemed and saved us, the one named Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen.